welcome to Why Make, where we talk with makers from different disciplines about what inspires them to make. With your hosts, Rob Helmkamp and Eric Wolken. If you'd like to learn more about the makers we interview on Why Make, please go to our website, why-make.com. And please help support the Why Make podcast on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash why make podcast or the Patreon link on our website. All right, welcome to Bonus Make. We're here with Zeke Leonard, and we're going to talk about music. Yep, we're going to talk about the ties between making and making music, because a lot of the makers we know uh, play music and are musicians, so we're going to get Zeke's perspective on making music and making. All right, Zeke Leonard. I am really interested in in the relationship between makers and players and musicians. Because so many of the people I know that are makers are also musicians. But I also have a large group of friends who are both and who are like IT people and they consider music a hobby. I just consider music an extension of my making. To me, instead of a visual language, it's an oral language, an A-U-R-A-L language. <laughs> if I probably didn't spell that right. I'm sure we'll hear about it. Um, I just think it's just another language that involves in the total making. Well, so I'm actually going to I'm going to zoom out for a second uh, in answer to that question in that I think that there's a fundamental flaw in our culture about identity. And so my friend Tom Fay, who I've invoked several times here, is who is a luthier and is also maybe the best fiddle player I know. Um, if you ask him what he, if you say, oh, what do you do? He'll say, he'll reply with what he uses to pay the mortgage. He'll say, oh, I'm a trim carpenter. And you say, oh, do you do anything else? He'll say, I build instruments. He'll come to music third. If you ask him, if, if, if you ask him to self-identify. And I think that's a flaw. And I think that he thinks that way because like the rest of us, we have been trained culturally to put creative identities in the background and put fiduciary identities in the foreground. And I really struggle with that. I have a, a good friend who's an amazing painter, just incredible painter, does his beautiful figurative work, really, really great. You ask them what they do, they'll say, oh, I teach. I teach third grade. Yeah, you do. And I'm sure she's good at teaching third grade. I've never been a third grader in her class, so I can't comment. But I have seen her paintings, and I would say she's a painter every bit as much as she's a third grade teacher. So I struggle with this whole thing about identity. I struggle with this, this whole impulse to put our creative ident- make our creative identities take a backseat. Okay, and rant. In terms of making and making music, I think that, because I know a lot of, every creative person I know likes music. Not all of them make music. Every creative person I know loves music and has it on in the studio or has very, many of them have very strong opinions about what is, quote, good music and, quote, bad music. Um, And I think it's because, at least the people that I know, once you understand this idea of being creative, then the venue starts to become less important and you start to be able to appreciate, I think, different venues, right? Um, So... I don't identify as a painter, but I kind of dig going and looking at paintings, right? Um, But then I think for those of us that are object makers, there is definitely, like, I don't know, I don't think I know 
I don't personally know very many woodworkers who don't also make music on some level, right? And and the problem, I'm sure there are many. I'm sure, I mean, I know a very small number of people. I'm sure there are many, many people that don't. But, um, but yeah, I think that I think that once you understand you can make stuff, the doors kind of open, right? But I also think that there's a... Um, all right, so again, this is not a political podcast, but I was sitting... I worked for John Dunnigan, who was one of my professors at RISD for a very brief period of time, um, and uh, a very skilled maker, also a very skilled musician. And we were sitting having lunch on his porch one day, you know, we were... I would. He lives out in the middle of nowhere, so like I would ride my bicycle out there, and I'd bring a sandwich. We were sitting on his porch, and we were sandwiches. And he said to me, and it stuck with me, and I, I haven't found anyone who's distilled it better than this. He said, "I believe that in a consumer society, making anything for yourself is a political act." And I, it's a big statement, but I, I buy it. I buy it. You don't have to want every single thing you do to be an act of revolution. That's okay. Sometimes I just sing a song to sing a song. That's cool. That doesn't make it not political. It doesn't make the act of doing it not political because you're making it yourself. You're saying, here's how I want that song to sound in that moment. In the same way, when I'm carving a guitar neck, I say, here's how I want this guitar neck to look. Right? I'm I'm being active in that. So activist in the sense of being active in changing the world, right? And so to yeah. me, the door, the, the, the dividing line between making a thing and making a song is very, very small. But yeah, and then not thinking as politics as like government, you know, but thinking of it as activity. Right, as being active. Mm-hmm. And, and I would, and I think, you know, we were talking earlier about convenience and disposability, um, and, and really what I think the big corporations want for us to do is to sink gently into kind of a cryonic torpor where we just click by it now, you know, because that we want this next thing. It's much less convenient to make something for yourself. It takes more like you have to get up and do things and you make a mess that you have to clean up and you got to find all the things and put them together. It takes a lot of energy. Um, and so in some ways in the 21st century, being active and being an activist are, are starting in my mind to get more correlated, you know, um, I know, I don't know if that's where you wanted to go with that, but that's, that's where I land with it. It's so crazy to think about doing something as being, as being a revolutionary or as, or as, <laughs> as it's like, oh man, I'm going to make this instead of pushing you know, add it to my cart and have it delivered the next day. I'm going to take three days and try and figure it out and seven days to make it. And instead of one day to get it. And I, and, and, you know, there's, I don't make everything in my world, right? Like I bought, none none of us do. Right. But every time you do make something that enters your daily life or somebody else's daily life, you know, it goes back to that idea of connection too, right? Like now I've got a connection to that object. I've got a connection to that person through that object. Um, and when you're making music together, I mean, you both know, cause you've made music with people in a room. It really is. You were saying that, uh, Eric, that, um, in some ways making music together is that faith community, right? The musical community, you may not have your, you may not have a common faith community, but you have that musical community. And I certainly have felt that way. I mean, when Prince died and my, and Sarah Uke, this ukulele jam session that I 
we used to run. Um, we did a day of Prince, and boy, I'm not sure that he would have enjoyed 20 ukuleles all playing Kiss, uh, but I sure enjoyed 20 ukuleles all playing Kiss. And I felt, and you know, we came together mourning or celebrating this person who had died, who, you know, and celebrating them through music. And man, that was profound. That was powerful. Way more powerful than buying it on iTunes and playing it on my laptop. Well, and the other profound thing I think about speaking to a community is, is that I have a hard time conversing with people that have very different political views than me. I consider that my own fault. But I can sit down and play music with anybody. I, I consider that the, that is the one church, that's the one faith we can actually share this in common. And it's a radical thing. In a, in a space that's built around respect... It's built around, you know, around proximity. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. After, uh, in 2016, the ukulele group got really funky for a couple of days, for a couple of meetings. Um, after one of those meetings, somebody, somebody came up to me who'd been coming for years at that point. I mean, we started that in 2010. You know, so he, they'd been coming probably for four or five years. And they said, you know, I just really want to, I really want to let you know how much I appreciate that um, I can still come. And I said, oh, I mean, why would I ever say you couldn't? And he said, well, I know we have different politics. And I feel really, and, and they were feeling really kind of the enormity of that in, in 2016. And I said, well, you know, I'd love to talk to you about that. Anytime you want to talk about that, please, you know, I'm, I'm, but this space here is for us to find the ways that we can be together. And so thank you for continuing to come. And they continued to come right up to the pandemic. Um, and, may, you know, there, I have friends who would say I should have handled that in a really different way, in a much more aggressive way. And maybe they're right. I don't think so. I think that was a, a great way because you're connecting on a human level. And that's what's going to get us out of this, man. Yeah, we got to we got to treat each other with love. I have been chanting slogans and carrying signs and signs and pumping my fists in the air since about 1988. And I have never had shouting at somebody make a difference. But I have had having a conversation with people make a difference. Yeah. And I've certainly had playing music with people make a difference. And there's a reason that the punk rockers, there's a reason they built their movement around making music, right? Um, you know, combat boots can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. But music, music is a way of, of really, you know, who's it that said four chords and the truth for country music, right? I mean, music has, music has a way of really um, distilling certain truths uh, and making them really hard to get away from. Yeah, and and also the notion, the other trite notion of music being a universal language. It truly is, and it's a it's a language that we can speak without conflict. It can be, yeah. So I, lately, I've gotten into this thing where I'm looking at very very old stuff, and one of the oldest objects that has been found that is not a tool or a weapon is a flute made out of a vulture bone, and it's it's about thirty five thousand years old. And it plays a pentatonic scale, and that is some that is something right there. That's I mean, there's, wild. It is it is totally wild. And uh, you can if you go on YouTube and and put it in, you, you'll find this dude who uh, who I'm just I'm so grateful lives in the world because he took that he took the one he figured out it was a vulture bone he got a vulture bone he put holes in exactly the same place and it plays a pentatonic scale. You talk about universal. That that predates writing. That predates any faith tradition that we know of that predates the food we eat, the clothes we wear, everything. But there's something about that musicality that has stayed important, that has stayed relevant. What's some of the, the music that you've created or the maybe let's ask it like 
something that you've done with music in your life that you feel has best created community that you felt um, has been powerful? For me, the the ukulele group most recently, but I'll tell you the. So there are a couple, every every jam session I've ever been to, really, right? Um, and one of my favorite places to to do that is on the porch at Aramont at the dorm at Aramont uh, School of Art and Craft in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, uh, which I started going to with my family just as a student. And more than anything else, Aramont changed my life. The, Aramont put me on the path to becoming a woodworker and ultimately going to RISD and all that stuff. Um, but the, as a way to, as you know, I always want to play music with instead of for. I mean, I play music for, right? In the punk band, I play music for and as a singer-songwriter and in the jug band, you know. I, but I'm so much happier when I play music with, you know, when we can, there's an energy to that. Um, and especially if it's the kind of thing like on the porch at Aramon or, uh, you know, in a bar somewhere, uh, that if even if you're not playing something, if you'll if you'll sing along or hum or drum on the table or whatever, you know, if you'll be if you'll be in it with me, that's what I that's kind of where I really want to live. And uh, and you know, in the punk movement, that became the mosh pit, right? Like that's how yeah. you that there's only so many people who are going to be on stage, but that you can kind of let that energy out in that way. Um, but you know, song circles do the same thing. I made this big, giant, this giant timber-framed, crazy contraption all out of trash called the Rustaphone. There's a YouTube video, um, and that was that was maybe the object that I've made that got me closest to the idea of it. That was it was too big for me to move around by myself. So it took like 20 people to stand it. We had a barn raising, 20 yeah. people to stand it up. Uh, it was too big to play by yourself. So you have to have at least five or six other people to play it. And it's this kind of, it's all, it's all this, I have this whole path of trying to find the music in all of the noises around us and pull out the voices of the trash and make that musical and make it listenable in some way. Right. Um, and so it takes five or six people to play it, and so we had these. We'd have these events, and all these people would be around it, and we'd all be banging on it, and other people would bring other trash, tin, you know, trash can lids, and all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and it turns into this kind of caterwauling, cacophonous. But there's a beat underneath it that everybody can kind of be a part of, and the different um, uh, fire extinguishers make really good gongs. Uh, and for some reason, the ones that I get always seem to be somewhere adjacent to the key of G, which is useful. Uh, so by getting different size gong, fire extinguisher gongs, you can start to make chords and start to have a kind of a percussive thing in that way. So I love doing that kind of stuff, too. You know, I, I, that goes back to the education and kind of talking about what is trash and why do we call it that? Uh, you know, what if we just think about it differently? What could it be? Right. But, but for me, the, all of the – because I don't belong to a faith community. I wasn't raised really in a faith community. So as you say, Eric, you know, my faith community is music. Um, and, uh, and I love hearing anybody do what they do. You know, there's some music that I gravitate more to and some I gravitate away from. But, but in general, you know, that playlist you're talking about has everything on it from MDC to Pete Seeger to, to Run DMC, right? And yeah. – uh, and, I think there's, there's like I love listening to all of that. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, my my musical tastes kind of run the gamut, like yours do too. And 
you know, there's something heavy and really technical and brutal and the whole band is heavy and moving to like an acoustic song or, you know, Pete Seeger playing on a banjo or Johnny Cash just whispering over a guitar is just as powerful as that crazy, brutal chord progression. Yeah, totally. It's all energy and that energy coalescing into the community. I mean, you almost think of it, even bands like... You know, a band is a little community of these guys that got together, men and women, you know, got together and created their little community. I mean, I always think, I always look at, because it's what I'm most familiar with, is um, the heavy metal community. And seeing, yeah, you hear about all the big heavy metal bands, but there's also little heavy metal bands that play house parties and everywhere in between. And it's all of these very wonderful communities of people well and part of that community is the spectators right if it's not a jam session if it's not a something inclusive in that way you know you can and i I, i'm sure you have both experienced this i have certainly experienced being in a band on a stage and having more people on stage than in front of the stage Um, you know the most resonant moments for me have been when i'm playing music in a group of people and more than one person is playing something that either they built or that somebody they know built and more and more, I'm kind of having that experience of of being able. I mean, it's cool when it like I've built three or four of those instruments. Fine, that's cool. But it's even cooler when oh, my uncle built this, or you know, my friend is a luthier built this, and I traded something for you know, and you and you start to have that. Like then they they're just stickier, they're richer, you know. Um, I think one of the things that I've always that has always drawn me about the DIY punk thing, but also goes back to the hillbilly music and and jug band music is that it's not about, oh, I could afford a, you know, whatever, uh, Epiphone Hummingbird or a, you know, Gibson, you know, or a, a D48 or whatever, right? Like, it's it's the stuff that I made. There's this great um, fiddle that I saw in a folk museum down south that had uh, two rattlesnake rattles on the inside of it. And I never got to hear it played, but I can imagine that when you played it, it would like buzz and sound really weird and crazy. And that's the stuff that really gets me going, right? Is that is that is when you're playing something that somebody made, something that maybe you know them and maybe you don't, but that somebody made with their hands. Well, that seems like a, a perfect place to wrap it up in our little bonus section with uh, Zeke Leonard talking about the uh, ties between music, playing music, making instruments, and making. So thanks, Zeke, for allowing us to do that little bonus. Cool. You can listen to Why Make on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and can also grab our RSS feed or direct download from our website, why-make.com. This episode is currently brought to you by the Holy Pockets of Rob and Eric. Please help us build our creative funding base at Patreon patreon.com forward slash why make podcast you can also find us on instagram and twitter at at why make pod this episode is recorded on squadcast and edited by us on audacity thanks for listening <laughs>